All right, we're going to jump straight back in with our series. And listen, just to say, I want to encourage you, this series particularly, um, I want to encourage you to keep up with it. It's, we're sort of definitely building week on week on week, and there isn't time to sort of give you a six-week synopsis at the beginning of each other week. So if you're not, you know, if you're not around on Sunday, do jump on the podcast and kind of um, just, yeah, track with us as this series builds. So we're going we're gonna to carry on looking at um, this um, this incredible cultural mandate that God gives us in Genesis 1. And we're going to look again at um, what does that mean in terms of what we do? So in Genesis 1.28, and this is, this is what we're rooting it around, God creates um, mankind, he creates man and woman, and he blessed them, he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So last week, Phil kind of set things up saying, listen, we've got to... We've got to redress maybe the unhelpful balance where we've got, where we, you know, we hear phrases like, you know, I'm, we're human beings, not human doings, which I, I agree with the sentiment of in terms of our value and worth isn't in what we do. But the danger is that, that we let that sort of be a slight pendulous swing so, and actually think, well, so what I do doesn't really matter. Um, whereas, like, that's, that's not the case. Right? There is absolutely stuff for us to do. So Paul in Ephesians 2 has this you know, beautiful articulation of the gospel. You know, this God who's so rich in mercy, loves us so much that even while we were dead in our transgressions, he sent Jesus to die for us. But he ends it in verse 10 saying, listen, you're God's workmanship. Like, you're created. There are good works he's prepared that we need to do. One translation says, these good works God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? There is good work for us to walk in. There is stuff for you and I to do. And that's what we want to keep looking at and understanding. Listen, when we're talking about work, things to do, things to put our hands to, please think big picture and don't just hear that we're talking about your job. You know, the, where you, it isn't that. I want us to think much, much broader than that. It's actually, where, where is it that you are giving time and energy? Where are you building? Where is stuff growing? It may be family. It may be there are hobbies. It may be doing housework. It may be taking kids to um, after-school clubs. It may be you're caring for elderly parents or you're involved with local politics or I, I, volunteering at charities. I don't know what, like, big picture, the, the stuff that we get to do, I think all of it matters because I think all of it is part of how we bear God's image um, and, we, and we outwork his plan and purpose for us. And remembering that actually we've got to stop with this. There's the spiritual stuff that God's concerned and interested with and there's the, all the other regular everyday stuff that doesn't matter. Like everything that we do, that we put time, energy, focus towards, I think that matters. Um, and that's what we want to look at. Um, so... Really, this morning, super simple. I've got two points. Um, I want to look at, actually, what we do, remembering that is big picture, not just a job, but I want to look a little bit about, well, how do we do it? How do we, if there's good works that God's prepared that we're supposed to walk in, how do we do that? And I want to encourage you that there are two things, two ways in terms of the how that we do that are really important. And the first is that I think we should do those things with excellence. And the second thing is I think it's that we should do those things like Jesus. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. So let's look at that first one. I think that the good works that God's given us to do, I think we should be aiming to do those with excellence. Now, absolutely, we've got, whenever we hear that kind of wish excellence, it's, it's tempting, isn't it, for think, okay, hang on a minute, are we sliding towards a sort of a perfectionist end, a perfectionist goal? Um, and, and I understand that. But listen, I think perfectionism is is I think an unhealthy distortion of actually what is a good and godly value, which is excellence. It's, it's a bit of a distortion. It's actually 
it's almost excellence, but with a fear filter that somehow, well, what if I'm, what if I'm not good enough? What I don't, if I don't do a good enough job? That it's like there's a, a fear comes in and that we filter it through and that we end up with perfectionism, which is an ungodly distortion of excellence. But I think excellence is a good and godly thing. I think we should be aiming for that. Um, knowing, like, you know, like Emma spoke on so brilliantly a couple of weeks ago, listen, our, our self-worth, our value does not come from our performance and other people's opinion of us. It doesn't. We really have to guard against that. But be aware, listen, the reason that lie, my self-worth, is a combination of my performance and other people's opinion. And in different situations, maybe for some of us, you know, our performance is more of the struggle. For others, it's others' opinions. And sometimes it's all of both of those things. But listen, we, the, reason that, the reason that lie is so persuasive is because it's just so, uh, it is a, again a slight distortion of actually the plan and purpose of God on our lives is actually there is stuff for us to do and to do well and actually we need to do it in community and have people to cheer us on and encourage us so it's that can you see how actually a God-given need for people community someone cheering me on inspiring me encouraging me saying Sarah you did well that's a good and a godly thing an unhealthy distortion of that is that I am driven by other people's opinion of me but to say it doesn't matter what people think and what they say, like that's not it either. So we, we've just got to be super clear that we really careful we don't do these pendular swings. So your self-worth doesn't come from how well you do something, but that isn't to say, I think, I think as God's people, we should aim for excellence. Because if, listen, if Paul is right, Paul says in two places, I'm, I'm not going to read them now, but Corinthians 3, 17 and 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Paul talks about actually that we should do everything even he says eating and drinking, all of our everyday regular, what we would see as practical life, he says we should do it all unto the Lord. We should do it all for the glory of God, right? If that's right, if, it, if that is what we should do, then somehow we've got to understand that all of the, the works that I get to do somehow is an offering. I've got to view it all as worship. And if that's the case, then why wouldn't I want to aim for excellence? Why wouldn't I want to give him my best? right? Why would I want to settle for a sort of token, you know, that'll do? And listen, listen, I think we can do that with our sung worship as much as anything else. We can kind of stroll in and kind of give him something and not everything and not our very best. Listen, we can do that in a kind of corporate setting with our sung worship, but we can do that with, with our work life. We can do that with how we're building our relationships. We can do that um, with how we're engaging with community or politics. Or so. Like we can absolutely give a token something but if everything we're to do, give, all of our work is worship, if we're supposed to do everything unto the Lord and for his glory, then of course we should aim for excellence because he's worthy of our very best, not a token something, right? I think we should. So what if actually you doing the things that God's given you to do, and that absolutely may include your workplace. So, so think maybe you know, in your job, what if you actually being really good and working really hard at what you do? What if that was as God-honoring and God-revealing as when you maybe specifically share a word of knowledge or share your testimony? And again, we want to do both of those things, but I think us working hard and being good and creative and excellent, I think that is God-honoring and I think it's God-revealing. I think it's part of how we bear his image. So I think we should aim for excellence, right? There's this brilliant quote. It's, nobody knows who it is. Someone said it was Luther, but someone said it wasn't. So it's an unknown quote, but I like it. This is this. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. 
right? And some of you are like, really? Is he? Does he? I think he does. Exodus 31, Phil mentioned this last week. Bezalel and Oholiab. It's actually, I think, I've tried to look really carefully. I think this is the first time in the Bible that God talks about filling someone with his Holy Spirit, right? His Spirit is hovering over the water. His Spirit is present all the time. But it specifically says, God says about these two men, he says, I have filled them with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. And then he goes on to say, so that they would be their craftsmen, so they were going to work in gold and bronze and metal. And so they were going to, God fills them with his spirit to do something entirely practical. So it's, it's biblical. I think it's absolutely right. So it, the value of what we do isn't just that, I don't know, if you're a barista, that you manage to put the face of Jesus in your coffee art. Like, Actually, what about if you just make a really good coffee and you'd love and serve people really well? I think that's God honoring and I think that's God revealing. So we've got to kind of figure out what does that look like, right? God wants to fill us with his spirit to do all of the things that we get to do, right? Dorothy L. Sayers, who's a British author from the early 20th century, writes some really punchy stuff on this. I'm going to, I want to read a bit of what she says. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sunday. What the church should be telling him is this, the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. The only Christian work is good work, well done. Let the church see to it that their workers are Christian people and they do their work well as to God, which is what Paul says. Then all work will be Christian work, whether it's church embroidery or sewage farming. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good way of looking at it, right? Actually, we've got to stop with this separation. This is the Christian work, and this is just functional, practical work. It's economics, it's politics, it's education. No, it's all. And, and we need to, as a church, you know, if, actually say, listen, we want you to do what you do really well. Right? I want you to be excellent teachers and excellent baristas and excellent people who work in retail. And, like, I want us to be excellent because I think that's how part of how we reveal God. I think excellence matters. So yes, let's guard against perfectionism. Let's be okay with us. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I make mistakes. That's okay. But actually, let's look for excellence because actually that is part of how we reveal Jesus. The second thing is this. We want to we do all of the work of our lives with excellence, but like Jesus. So I, listen, I want to make an undiluted, unapologetic charge for, listen, we need radical and consistent holiness in the whole of our lives. We need to be disciples of Jesus, right? We've got to be so careful, you know, that we don't kind of lean into this, actually, there's, you know, it's this cheap grace and we can, you know, we can live how we like. Like, listen, we're supposed to follow Jesus and be like Jesus. And that has got to look like something. And it's so easy for us, you know, there'd be little areas of compromise and things that slide in. I want to, and again, listen, it's not about being religious and tick boxing, but again, it's, it's all these pendulum swings. Listen, it matters how we live. Actually, falling short of God's standard matters. Of course there's grace, but it matters the Bible's really, really clear. Grace isn't just this big supernatural eraser that actually when we get stuff wrong, it kind of wipes it out. It is that. But it's really, in Titus, it says that actually the grace of God teaches us to, and empowers us to say no to ungodliness. There's two aspects of grace. 
It picks me up, washes me clean, and restores me when I get it wrong. But it also enables me to be different and not get it wrong in the future. Actually to say no to all ungodliness. And it really matters. I was was thinking, again, at work, I want us to think big picture, but maybe think about your workplace. And I I just want to throw some things out there. Um, Actually, how are we speaking? What is our language like? Right? Is there, is there an area is that where sometimes actually that can be an area we tolerate slight ungodliness and think it doesn't really matter? And listen, I think it does, because I think the work that we should do, we need to do like Jesus. Right? And the Bible's super clear. You know, actually, are we, are we involved in kind of like coarse joking or swearing, bad language? Actually, and, and, and we can tolerate that and think, well, it's not that big a deal. And like, actually, no, we need to be like Jesus. Actually, are we getting pulled into gossip or slander or complaining or backbiting? Are we getting into that in a workplace? Because it's really easy, if that's the climate that you maybe find yourself in, in an office or maybe in a social club or a sports environment or I don't know what you do, but actually, if that's the dynamic, that we can get pulled into that and think, that's not that big a deal. Listen, you're supposed to be like Jesus. So I think it is a big deal. What about alcohol? Listen, I'm super aware. Listen, you know, we wouldn't as a church say that, you know, I know, I know Christians who feel like, actually, no, God said I'm not to drink. I don't, I don't think that's a biblical for everyone. I, like, I don't think it's wrong for us to have alcohol, but I think the Bible is abundantly clear we shouldn't, as God's people, get drunk. I think that's an area that we tolerate, and there's a bit of compromise that can slide in, and we think, man, it's not that big a deal. I think we need to think about that. What does that look like on your work Christmas do? How do you look like Jesus? Some of us need to pay attention to that. Maybe it's money. How are you when you fill in your tax forms? What do you do with your expenses? You know, are you making them work for you? Or are you having absolute integrity and honesty? You know, what do you do when there's success or failure in, a, in somewhere? When maybe it's your success, maybe it's your failure, maybe it's someone else's. Like, how do you handle that? How do you respond to that? Do you look like Jesus in those places? Because we should. We're supposed to live like him. And the, the thing I, I guess I want to say finally is, the danger is, the potential is that we compare ourselves maybe to other people or you know, a social environment or a work environment we're in and we're like, well, you know, my language isn't as bad as theirs. I don't actually say that word, maybe a little bit of this, but it's not as bad as them, right? Or I don't get I don't know, absolutely hammer drunk. I maybe have a bit too much, but I'm not as drunk as that person, so maybe it's not so bad. Uh, you know, maybe I'm you know, getting involved in a little bit of gossip, but I'm never, I don't lie about people. You know, and you're like, like that is just being compromising was actually the standard is really high for you and I and it's looking like Jesus so for maybe there's some things that we are you know Holy Spirit's like hey, listen you are tolerating stuff because I'm comparing myself that I'm not you know it's not as bad as those people that's completely the wrong question like the question is actually what is it in comparison to Jesus yeah not looking at I'm not as bad as them am I as good as him and if I'm not then I need to make an adjustment right we need to live like Jesus because Listen, if our whole life, if everything that we do is, is worship a holy and perfect God, then actually we need to be walking in holiness consistently so that all of my life I'm living, you know, I'm looking to line it up. So is this lined up with actually God's word and his will? And if it's not, listen, his will and his word doesn't need to change, I do. If things are out of alignment, I'm the one who needs to change, not him. So we need to think, actually, how like Jesus am I? Because in all of it, I found this brilliant quote. In everything that we're doing, living, working, hobbies, social engagement, community action, all of that stuff, I think we should live in a way where, that it, it makes people notice and wonder, 
right? I think this is actually how we live, how we do our job, you know, how we involve maybe with a school PTA, how we're involved in, I don't know, maybe a sports club or a music society, how we engage and show up, I think is a really important way that this cultural mandate we're looking at and the Great Commission, those two things come together. So Leslie Newbegin, who's a theologian and author, has said this, listen, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. That's a good quote, right? I found that really convicting. Am I living in such a way that people ask a question, the answer of which is Jesus and his kingdom? And I'm not in enough ways and in enough impact. So I'm like, hey, I need to change. Because otherwise, you know, 1 Peter, I think it's 1 Peter, it says actually always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. Like that, that implies that actually I'm ready with an answer because people are asking questions. And people are asking questions because of how I live my life and how I treat my friends and how I raise my kids and how I deal with finances and what I watch and what I say and how I engage on social media. People notice and wonder and ask questions and I have the answer, it's Jesus, right? And listen, I'm not saying it's a get out that we just sit and wait for people to say, you know, how must I be saved? Listen, if that happens, wonderful, let's do that. I do also want us to be initiating conversations. But listen, it, it does matter, you know, because otherwise, I want, are we maybe, as the church, are we maybe trying to give an answer, but people aren't asking that question because we're not living in such a way that provokes those questions? Does that make sense? Is it possible that maybe our lives don't look enough like Jesus and aren't so radical enough in the kingdom that actually people don't, people don't think to ask because we just look the same as anybody else? And if that's the case, we're the ones who need to change. Right, so living like Jesus, and so that means it's lifestyle and it's character. Christian character and discipline is really, really important, right? And we need to really go after that. That's what we need to preach and encourage one another in. But it's not just that, it's also message. If you look at, okay, I need to live like Jesus, that means actually part of the work that I have to do, you know, whatever my job is, whatever my social situation, whatever my family or relationship status, some of the work that all of us have to do is to show and tell the good news of Jesus. No get out, no rigor room, that's for all of us, right? So living like Jesus means like he did, showing and telling the good news, preaching the kingdoms at hand and healing the sick and reaching out to the poor and, and speaking to the good news of Jesus. That is some of the work that's prepared for you and I to do, right? Yeah. And so we have to look at, okay, where are the places that I show up? Where are the places I can make a difference? Where are the places I'm engaged and involved? And what does it look like to bring the kingdom there? So it means I have to be concerned about justice, right? I have to be concerned about the poor. I have to live a life that reflects you. Like, I, I have to do those things. It's not good enough for us as a church to be a social club or, you know, a hobby. It's like, that's not it. It's a radical commitment to Jesus and an extending of his kingdom. That's what living like Jesus looks like. So listen, I, I guess it's in this whole series when we're looking at, okay, what is it to fulfill this cultural mandate? What is it to value the work that we've been given to do? I'm, I'm, in all of this, I'm gonna, I probably am repeating myself, but I just really wanna make sure that you hear, not that we're saying, listen, be really good at your job, have good self-esteem, you know, be a good moral person and have good relationships. Um, and you kind of, I focus on that, and almost we hear that as a get out for telling people about Jesus. Like that, that isn't it. We have a great commission we need to take more seriously and be more proactive in. But conversely, listen, how we live 
if we're not careful and committed, I think can undermine and confuse our message because it's like we're speaking a message that we're not living. So it does matter how we live, but it does matter the message that we bring as well. So, so what, now what? It's always what I want to keep coming back. So what, nice ideas, nice chatting, Sarah. So what, now what? Galatians 6, 4 to 5, I want to read a couple of verses from the Message Translation, which I think is brilliant, and I'm hopeful will be really helpful for you in looking at the work that you've been given to do, remember, big picture, whatever your work is, and and apply these things. So this is what Paul says, verse 4 and 5, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. That's good, right? I've read that one day. I was like, wow, that would, that would keep me out of mischief for the next 50 years, trying to figure out that stuff. So when I read that, like, this, is, this is what I think, this is what God is saying. I think we're to explore, to work hard. Don't be impressed. Don't compare, take responsibility, be creative, do your best, right? That's, that's basically, if we put that next slide, that is the bullet point. That is what I think those we're going after in that verse. That is, I think, how we, so if, if we're saying, okay, Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship, we're made in his image, there are good works prepared beforehand that we're supposed to walk in, how do we do that? We need to explore, we need to work hard, we need to not be impressed, not compare, Take responsibility, be creative, and do our best. And some of, some of these things, listen, we've, we've looked at already, but just really quickly, explore. I love that. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and sink yourself into that. I love that. Who am I? What am I on the planet to do? Like, that is what this whole series is about. Let's, that's, this is an exploration, and be all right with, I don't know all the answers. I, I don't fully know yet. I, I knew what it was a few years ago. I'm in a different season. I'm not sure. Actually, that's okay. Who am I? What am I on the planet to do, and what does that look like here and now? And it's the cultural mandate, and it's the Great Commission. And just commit to that journey of exploration, and be okay that it's a process, and take time, and know that in, in that kind of journey of, you know, what am I here to do, and how do I do it? Listen, there's kind of detours, and sometimes there'll be, we'll bump up against stuff. Sometimes we might hit a dead end or a hurdle or a delay. That's all right. Like, we just explore that. Explore the work. Explore who you are as someone made in his image, knowing what he says about you, and the work that you've been given, right? Remembering, it's not just your job, but the stuff that you've got to do. The second thing Paul says is work hard. And honestly, I think this is you know, my two points. Listen, I think we should live with excellence, and I think we should live like Jesus, which means we'll work hard. I think that is going to result in us working hard. Not striving, again, watching those pendulum swings, watching those ditches, right? Not striving and not to find worth and value and meaning, but having found worth and value and meaning in hearing what God says about us, having found that, I'm going to work hard, right? You know, in your workplace, in your job, with your kids, with your community, wherever you show up, do you know what? Actually, my motivation for working hard is I value the people around me, Right? They're worth my effort. I want to see them flourish. So when I'm doing the uninspiring supermarket shop, which I hate every week, I'm like, do you know what? I want to see Phil and the kids flourish. Actually, I want to work hard at building home and family because I value these people. Not striving to find worth, but they're worth it. So I'll work hard, right? And if all of my life, all of my work is worship, 
then you know, we need nothing other than knowing, well, actually, God is absolutely worthy of our very best. He is absolutely worthy of me working hard. He's worth my best, not my half-hearted token gesture. So we can work hard from a healthy place, not striving, yeah? Third one, don't be impressed. Verse three, so in the, the, new, uh, the NIV translation of it, it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And again, we want to be kind of cautious with this verse. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Am I nothing? Am I something? Um, essentially, I think what Paul's going off is, listen, we need to have a right view of ourselves, right? Which is actually, we are made in God's image. We are loved and we're significant. But do you know what? I am not the center of the universe and neither are you. I'm sorry to shatter any illusions, right? I'm not. I matter, but I'm not everything. And, and, where, and I matter, and I'm significant, and I have influence, but you know what? I am entirely dependent on God for everything. I think that's having a right view of myself, right? I'm not on the throne of my life, neither am I. Like, I am dependent on God and submitted to him, right? Yes, you're made in the image of God, but no, you're not the center of the universe. I think that's kind of what the Bible says. And Paul says it again in Romans 12. He says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. And again, we need to hear, not that we should have a poverty mindset, oh, I'm a miserable, awful, useless person, why would God ever make, it's not that, that's repellent. That's not, that's not being a son or a daughter, but it's like, hey, listen, do you know what? I'm significant, but I'm limited. I'm influential, but dependent on God. I need to have a right view of myself in relationship to God and other people. I've been put in this crazy, we've been given this unbelievable calling, this high and favored position with God, but it means, do you know what? I can go low, I can love, I can serve, I can wait, I can be patient, I can be misunderstood, and it's okay. Have a right view of ourselves. Next one, don't compare, right? This is why I think it's saying, let, explore who you are, the work you've been given to do, sink yourself into that, be thankful, be content, be faithful, work hard in that, and guard against comparing other people and what they've got, right? So, and it can look like, you know, we'll put others down in order to somehow make ourselves feel better. Or we'll maybe miss the moment that we're in, the work that we've been given to do, because we may be frustrated or bitter or jealous or envious that someone else has got more or someone else got that promotion. They got the opportunity that I want, right? And it's like comparison never helps us. It really doesn't. I think if we can be a people who are really faithful in the work that God's given us to do, really thankful for the thing that he's given us, be able to celebrate other people's success, those are really, really good ways of keeping comparison at bay. Right? If you make an absolute discipline of being thankful for what you have and celebrate what other people have, honestly, I think that is a fail-safe way of keeping comparison out. So if comparison is a struggle, celebrate other people, be thankful for what you have as a choice. Before you feel like it, just do it. It'll really help. Because comparison, listen, comparison is a really easy way for us to fall back into that lie that we looked at with Emma, that my self-worth is based on my performance and other people's opinion of me. And look, that person's up here, and that person's up here, and then we just go down and down and down. It's not helpful. You faithfully and thankfully do what you've been given to do where you are. Don't compare. Next one, take responsibility, right? You know, do I do what needs to be done and what I'm called to do because I am taking responsibility or because someone is sitting over me demanding it of me? Um, you know, do I do the bare minimum when I've been asked 17 times because I really have to? Right, so think about the work that you've been given to. and Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a social situation. Think about the places where you can make a difference. 
right, where you have authority. Remember when we looked at this idea of authority and vulnerability. Authority is not I am at the top of a you know, hierarchical authoritarian position, I'm the boss. So when I'm the CEO, then I have authority. No, nonsense. You have authority right now because authority is you can make the meaningful difference. And you absolutely can. But you need to take responsibility for that and not defer that to other people or defer that to, well, when I've maybe got my life together or maybe when this happens or when I'm... No, like right now, take responsibility. You, we have authority, right? We can make a meaningful difference in the little things that we do, but we need to take responsibility for that. So let your yes be yes. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Do it well, do it when you say you're going to do it. Right? Not, because, not because it's necessarily seen, rewarded, or appreciated, but because you are taking responsibility to do the work that you've been given to do. Like we need to live with integrity. And then finally this, be creative. You be responsible for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Now, for some of you, that is, that's quite straightforward, right? You, maybe you're an artist or a musician or a dancer or a writer, and maybe your work or maybe a hobby that you have is creative. Um, but I want to speak to a moment for those who, myself included, would probably write ourselves off and say, well, I'm not creative, right? We'd potentially, I remember being at... Um, uh, it was actually way back when we did... Uh, Phil and I were leading Reach, which was kind of young adults, and we were doing like a girl, Guys and Girls Day, and... On the girls' day, we were doing some kind of painting and stuff, and I remember Celia Cowleyshaw. I was like, oh, Celia, I'm just not creative. And she absolutely took me to town for saying I wasn't creative. Because, listen, we need to have a much broader understanding of creativity, right? I can't paint or draw or those things, although Rob tells me if I had better training, I could. I think he's probably right. But, like, I'm not naturally good at any of those things, right? But if I'm made in the image of God, who created all things, I must have some creativity, Right? I don't think that's a massive stretch. If I'm to join him in the renewal of all things, which is, remember, we're to, bring, we're to join him in partnering to bring order out of chaos, to bring flourishing, that's creativity. So we have to have a much bigger view of what's the work that we've been given, but I think we need to have a much bigger view of what creativity is. For some of you, it's absolutely paint a picture, write a book, write a song. For Absolutely, that is, and that's beautiful. But maybe for, maybe for some of you, actually, creativity, bringing order out of chaos is that you can bring some harmony and connection in a, maybe a fractious and an uncomfortable work environment. That's creativity, I think. Maybe for some of you, it's actually coming up with a way of, of an ordering your finances or email communications in an office that actually makes life happen. Like, genuinely, Chloe Shivraj, John Hodges, geniuses at that. They are creative at finding ways for things to flourish. It's creativity. It's not with a song, guitar, or a paintbrush, but it's creativity, right? For some of you, it's throwing a street party or having a family games night. It's like there's, there's a way of engaging with community. For some of you, it's actually it's a God-inspired idea to actually bring life back into a marriage. For some of you, it's like it's a creative way to kind of connect with your teenager or your child who you feel like they're over there. And maybe some of you are teachers, and it's this sudden way that actually, you know, I can bring and give life to that child. I've suddenly had this idea that how I can do it. Like big picture creativity is order out of chaos to bring flourishing all around us, doing our creative and doing it our best, right? It's the it's this excellence idea. And listen. When I think we're saying here, like, just do your creative best. That doesn't mean you need to be the best, although some of you should and are and should be, and that's fine. 
But actually, we've got to understand this idea. I want to live with excellence, not tied down to striving and performing. But listen, the reality is, for, like for some of us, you know, in your workplace, actually, performance is a thing. Maybe you're a musician or an artist, and it's like actually, or an actor or a dancer, and it's like actually, and you perform. Like how many of you are in, in a job where you have performance-related pay or you have an annual performance review, right? Yeah, and you're, you're critiqued and judged on your performance, right? So it, it is a thing, so we need to not just say, oh, that's ungodly, we don't need it, but how do we navigate those things well? How do we navigate being given feedback when we're being encouraged, when we're being corrected? Like, how do we do that? How do we view, this is where I want to finish. Um, um, I've got one minute and then you can go and scoop kids. We've let them know that they were going to be five minutes over today. How you and I view the work that we've been given to do, you know, the marriages, the children, the job, the hobbies, the politics, all of the work that we've been given to do, how we view it um, and the things that we've been given to do, I think will massively change how we approach it. I want to finish with this. This is a text conversation I was having with a friend who... Um, uh, we've been talking over this for the last couple of years. How do we navigate actually wanting to be excellent and not being caught up in a perfectionist, performance-driven mentality? So she's a classically trained musician. She is a concert musician. So she is a brilliant musician and has been at a special... You know, she was from a very young age in a specialist music school, went through the Royal College of Music. Like, she's brilliant. But we were talking about it. She said, the thing is, Sarah, she's like, from when I, when I was 11 or 12, she's like, I have been trained to perform. She's like, so how do I do that and do that well? And so we were, we've been kicking this around, honestly, over months and years. And I want to read you this a text that she was saying where she's kind of finding some real life and breakthrough. And I think this would be helpful for all of us, not just if you're in a, in a creative industry, but for all of us. So she says this, a real key has been to do with living a received life rather than a driven life. I've learned that I need to receive everything as a gift from him and that everything I do to be released as an offering to him. I realized that my prayers regarding my gigs and concerts were centered around me doing well and not screwing up rather than seeing them as my offering of worship to my heavenly father. It's been so releasing and so transformative. Here's the key. The, the work that we've been given to do, we need to see all of it. We need to receive it as a gift and release it as an offering of worship. That's how I want us, that's why I always want us to see the things that we do, the work that we've been given to do. How can we do that? Receive it all as a gift, release it all as an offering, right? And so that we do it with Jesus, we do it like Jesus, and ultimately we do it for Jesus because he's worthy of our very best. Does that make sense? All right, why don't you stand? Let's pray for one another, and then we can go and scoop up our kids. Why don't you place your hand on your heart? Because honestly, I think this is for all of us. Whatever we've been given to do, like, I want us to do it well. I want us to do it like Jesus. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us. Um, God, help those of us who we need to have a, we need to change how we see the work that we've been given to do. God, we choose this morning to receive all of that as a gift from you. And God, we choose to, um, to live it, um, to, to walk in all of it, to extend all of it as an offering of worship back to you. God, and as we do that, I pray that you'd, um, God, would you free those people who um, have been striving? Would you free people who've been feeling unfulfilled? Maybe feel like actually the stuff that is taking, I'm putting time and energy to in the week, it feels worthless, it feels draining. God, give them a fresh perspective 
but it's actually it's good works that you've given them to do. That the people around them are worth their very best and that Jesus, you are worthy of our very best. God, we want to do the whole of life for you. Jesus, we want to do it with you. We want to be like you and we want to do and give everything of our lives for you. So Holy Spirit, come and help us in that journey. Help us in that process, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that there would be so much life. There would be so much freedom in us and for us, but around us and through us because we change how we view the work that we've been given to do. So Jesus, we love you. We want to be more like you. We want to see other people come to know you. So we pray that we would preach your message. We would live your life. We would enjoy and extend your kingdom more and more every day. And we ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Listen, I want to, if there's somebody this morning, like, actually, you know, I'd really love someone to pray with me. So actually, if that idea of, you know what, work is hard. And some of you, maybe it's workplace. It is actually, it's job. And it's like, actually, it's, it's, it's hard to feel inspired. It's hard to feel motivated. Or actually, it's, you just would love someone to pray with you over a work situation. We'd love to do that. For some of you, that idea of that, actually, how can I really go for excellence and not be caught up in perfectionism? Um, again, I would ask you, just come, and one of these guys would love to pray with you. If you're on our prayer team, if you come make yourself available. Um, but if you would like someone to pray with you about any of the things we've talked about this morning. Um, I, for some, someone had a word, actually, um, this morning, that actually, feeling like God wanted to bless marriages. And I feel like this idea of, actually, how do we do our creative best? I feel like there's breakthrough for creativity in marriages, actually being restored and deeper connection. And maybe for some, it's relationship with kids. Actually, I feel some of the work that some of you have been given is to be a husband, a wife, a mum, a dad. And God wants to come and help you be to do that creatively and brilliantly, where it maybe feels a bit tricky. Does that make sense? So if any of those things are you, please come. And these guys would love to pray with you. Um, if you've got kids, please go scoop them up.